Hi, I'm Blake. I'm Caleb. And this is the Nightmare on 6th Street podcast. Uh, once a week, we're going to get together and talk about all things scary. So true crime, conspiracy theories, hauntings, alien encounters. If it's scary, it's going to get talked about. Yeah. All right. So I had mentioned to you that I was going to um, make this episode about the true story or behind the horror movies. Uh, but I realized the more I dug into it, specifically the story for the movie The Exorcist, mm-hmm. uh, the more conflicting information I found. That one was based off of the possession of Roland Doe. Okay. And there was just so much information online that, and a lot of it didn't make sense. So I just put that one on the back burner for now until I can sort it all out and kind of get a better idea of what went on and just how to tell the story. Sure. Yep. But today, I'm going to be telling you about American murder houses. I got two of them. Okay. Um, I should probably issue a trigger warning. Some parts are pretty graphic. Uh, It does include children being killed and attempted suicide. And, you know, obviously it's a scary podcast. So things are going to get a little rough sometimes. Sure. That's a part of history, though, right? Exactly. So the first one I have for you is the Clutter House. It's also known as the River Valley Farm. It's located on Oak Street in Holcomb, Kansas. It was owned by Herbert Wesley Clutter and his wife, Bonnie May. Herbert and Bonnie May had four children, a daughter, uh, Nancy May Clutter, age 16, and Kenyon Neal Clutter, age 14. They also had two other adult daughters, but they were grown and no longer lived at home. So Uh, the house is a large uh, blonde brick house. It's a two story home with four bedrooms and two and a half bathrooms. Floyd worked for Herbert for a time and then ended up spending some time in jail. While in jail, he would go on to tell an inmate that Herbert kept a safe in his home with a bunch of cash in it. Why? I don't know. Like, why would that even come up in conversation like ever? Like, what a weird thing to just insert. Yeah, who knows? I get, they're criminals, though, so I guess that's the kind of thing they talk about. <laughs> Not much else to talk about, right? Yeah. Have a lot of free time. Yeah. All right, so that inmate happened to be Richard Hickok. And he decided that when he got out of prison, he was going to go to the Clutter's house and rob them. Why so, wouldn't he, right? I know, right? <laughs> you know, instead of, like, just maybe getting a job. <laughs> So Richard completed his time in the penitentiary, and when he got out, he got a hold of one of his old fellow inmates, Edward Perry Smith. They both got together and decided that they would go to the Clutter's home to steal the safe. And, you know, that's when they both sat down and developed a plan that they thought would be foolproof. The plan was to tie the family up, get the safe, and leave no witnesses. So on the night of November 15th, 1959, they got in the car to head to the Clutter's house. On the way there, they stopped and bought nylon rope, two-inch adhesive tape, a small pocket knife, and some rubber gloves. They also had with them in the car a 12-gauge shotgun and a box of shells. These guys were prepared to do whatever they had to do to get that money, huh? I know. 
So uh, they get to the house at about midnight, 1 a.m. They drive down the long tree, like tree line driveway and park the car. When they get there, the first thing they did was cut the telephone line going into the house. Which, whenever I hear that in like a story I'm reading or like a podcast I'm listening mm-hmm. to, that is just super scary to me. Oh, no, no connection to the outside world. Right. Yeah. Right. You're, you're fucked pretty much. Yeah. Like, I mean, now you have cell phones and stuff, right. but that yeah, back then, I mean, that was your only connection. Yeah. They obviously live on a farm, probably desolate. The, oh yeah, it was, it was like out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. They yeah. were surrounded by a thousand acres. Mm-hmm. Like you, they honestly, like it, it's really sad, but they didn't have like a snowball's chance in hell that night. Really sad. Mm hmm. So when um, they get all their stuff and they head to the house and unfortunately one of the doors to the house was left unlocked that night. They enter into the house and they grab Herbert from his room downstairs first. They drag him into the office and they start looking for the safe. They're obviously not finding one. So they ask Herbert like, where is this safe? And he tells them that there isn't one. And there actually really wasn't because Herbert didn't pay for things in cash he only paid for things with checks yeah businessman Mm -hmm. smart so richard and edward take herbert upstairs to where his wife and two children are sleeping they order everyone out of the bed and put them all into the bathroom Mm -hmm. while the family's in the bathroom they search through the house looking for this non-existent safe and they're also looking to see if they can find like any other like valuables or any other cash around Um, they don't find the safe um, but they did find a small amount of money so they went back upstairs and took Herbert down to the furnace room in the basement where they tied him hand to foot on a mattress box Ah, the scariest place in the house I know right yeah like a furnace room Mm -hmm. in a basement like no thanks no Kenyon was next and he was also taken to the furnace room, but then they later moved him to the couch in the rec room downstairs, which was also located in the basement. And they tied him up with tape. So Richard and Edward go back upstairs and they tie Bonnie Mae and Nancy hand to foot in their own beds. Since part of their plan was to leave no witnesses, they went to the basement and killed Herbert first. They cut his throat and then in what they described as a quote-unquote act of mercy, they shoot him in the head. Yeah, so obviously the rest of the family and whoever's on this farm is probably going to hear those shots. That would be so terrifying. Like the fear they had to feel in that moment. Yeah. Like Someone you don't know comes in your house, ties you up, uh, takes part of your family away from you, and then you hear a gunshot like moments later. You know you're good. next. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like an act of mercy, like, are you kidding me? An act of mercy would have been to just leave and leave like the whole family alive. Yeah, we didn't find the safe. Let's get out yeah, of here. Yeah, see you later. Like, yeah, no harm, no foul, yeah. right? Well, Kenyon was next and he was shot at close range with a shotgun. They make their way back upstairs and then they shoot Bonnie Mae and Nancy in the head. Um, Richard and Edward end up leaving the clutter house with a transistor radio that belonged to Kenyon, some binoculars, and $40 in cash. Horrible. Mm-hmm. 
The family was discovered the next day when a family friend went by their home and she had to walk in there and just see all of that. I I can't imagine like going into my friend's home and finding them dead. I would, I would be traumatized. Had to be a gruesome scene. Yeah. He slit, he slit their throat in the first place and then shot the guy. And then it was, I think a shotgun, right? So there's going to be blood splatter all over the wall. Oh yeah. You know, and then just like the amount of blood that's like your throat is cut. Mm -hmm. The amount of blood is like just going to be all over the floor. (laughs) Horrible scene. Mm Mm-hmm. So obviously word spread fast because they were pretty prominent members of their community. Mm -hmm. And the guy Floyd Wells that used to work at the clutter farm, uh, he's still in prison, but he hears the news of the murder and asks to speak to the warden. He knew that it had to be Richard because he was the person that he told about the safe. Both Richard and Edward were located and arrested in Las Vegas on December 30th. And so once they're caught, these guys just admit to everything. Every mm-hmm. detail, just spill the beans on the whole thing. Do you think they felt bad about what they did? Or do you think they thought they would get in less trouble by I, admitting? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it was like one of those things where like, oh shit, we're caught. Like, Might as well. Might as well tell the truth. Like, Did they tell the truth because they just genuinely didn't give a shit? Or, like... Were they proud of what they did? Yeah. Like, I don't know. So that's that's a good question. That's... that's uh... So anyway, they sold their car along with the radio and binoculars in Mexico City. And then they also told the police that they buried evidence close to the scene of the crime and told them exactly where they needed to go to dig it up. So they go to jail, they're, you know, sitting there waiting for their trial, and Mm -hmm. a jury finds them guilty because of the overwhelming evidence, and they sentence them to death. Wow. So they're both on, you know, like, death row for, like, five years at this point, and they had both filed appeals that they were waiting for. Um, And Truman Capote, uh, known for Breakfast at Tiffany's, was fascinated by this case. So he heads to Holcomb because he wants to write a book about all the murders because he was just baffled, like, how can this happen in, like, just this nowhere town? Right. Um, He also enlisted Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, to help him. Okay. Um, The book that Capote wrote uh, is In Cold Blood. And this this was really weird. He actually befriended the murderers like Richard and Edward and would regularly interview them in jail. Yeah. That is bizarre, but I'm not surprised really because he probably wanted to get inside their heads and he wanted to know as much as possible about these guys mm-hmm. and probably mannerisms, like, you know, the cadence of their voice, like everything, right. like get full details. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not super surprised about that. Yeah, but that, that makes perfect yeah, sense. Still odd though. I yeah. Mean, um, Well, at one particular interview, Edward says, I didn't want to harm the man. I thought he was a very nice gentleman, soft-spoken. I thought so right up until the moment I cut his throat. Mm. True gentleman. (laughs) I know, right? God. (laughs) Um, Well, they were hung in the early morning of April 14th, 1965 in Lansing, Kansas. 
and um, Truman Capote didn't attend their hanging because he didn't want to see his friends be hung. So, yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. But in 2012, their bodies were exhumed for a murder investigation that was going on. Um, back in December 1959, the Walker family from Osprey, Florida, had been murdered, and then one person in their family had been raped. They thought that it might have been Richard and Edward because they were have thought to have been in Florida at one point. Um, obviously, DNA testing has advanced light years since 1959, so they collect their bone fragments and then stick those two back in the ground and, you know, do all their testing. But whatever happened after that, I don't know, because the findings were never released to the public. Wow. Mm -hmm. 2012, huh? Yep. About 10 years ago? Yeah. Pretty recent, really. I know, right? Yeah. There was nothing, nothing at all that was released to say if they were connected or not. So you Might have to look into that and um, come back to that the end of the story. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, so the second house is the Rupert household. This one is about a family mass murder. Oh, wow. Sounds yep. chilling. Yeah. Let's uh, take a quick break, and we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, so the second house we're going to talk about today is the Rupert household. Mm -hmm. That uh, house is actually where a family mass murder took place. The Rupert house is a 1,700 square foot home with two bedrooms and one bath. So it's kind of a little tiny, but sure. that's all right. Um, it was the home of Leonard and Charity Rupert, they had two sons, Leonard II and James. James is going to be the main focus of our story today. Okay. So James Urban Rupert was born on March 29th, 1934. And this guy honestly did not have the best childhood. Mm. His mom would constantly tell him that he was a, a mistake because she had wanted him to be a girl. She wanted to have a daughter since she already oh, had a son. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. And Leonard, his dad, was described as being violent and just really not giving a shit about his kids. So when James was 12, his father died, and his brother Leonard, who was 14 at the time, kind of stepped into the man-of-the-house kind of role, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, James wasn't a very outgoing or popular kid, and he obviously didn't have the best home life and, you know, his brother really made it worse for him. James said that his brother would constantly beat him up and just taunt him mercilessly. Horrible. Mm -hmm. At age 16, James attempts suicide by hanging himself with a sheet. You know, just so sad, so depressed, hated his life, didn't want to do it anymore. Now, obviously, he didn't succeed or... You know, what I'm about to tell you wouldn't have happened. So. Do you know the, how old was he when he tried that? 16. Oh, man, so sad. Yeah, that's young. Mm -hmm. That's so young. Yeah. Um, it was said that there was a lot of resentment on James' end. Leonard was always really successful and popular and just driven, and James just wasn't. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so after high school, James went to college for drafting, but he dropped out two years later because his grades were just really bad. Um, Leonard, on the other hand, excelled in college and was just really good at sports, and he ended up graduating with his degree in electrical engineering. Wow. Yep. All right, so we've established that Leonard was successful and popular and just all that jazz, mm -hmm. and that James just really wasn't at all. But the icing on the cake, though, was that Leonard actually went on to marry one of James' ex-girlfriends. I know, right? Yeah. And, and they had eight kids together. Wow. That's Can you imagine no. just seeing that? You'd, Fury. You'd just be a little salty, Rage. I'd suppose. Yeah. So, you know, James, he just couldn't hold down jobs. He drank all the time, and his mom was just tired of it, mm -hmm. especially since he was 41 and lived at home with his mom. He didn't pay rent, didn't help around the house, was drunk all the time. He just didn't do anything. He was like a terrible like person to live with. Uh, with James, everything was always someone else's fault. More specifically, everything bad that happened to James was always Leonard's fault. Mm -hmm. uh, one example of that is James owned a Volkswagen and it didn't run that well. Um, James was convinced that Leonard would just mess with the vehicle while James wasn't around and that's why it didn't run right. He just thought that James or Leonard was sabotaging his vehicle. It's just paranoia. I know. Like why? What would be the reason? Right. Um, so March 29th, 1975, it's James' 40, uh, 41st birthday. He gets into an argument with his mom that day because he's behind on his rent payments. And she tells him, if you don't get caught up on these payments, I'm going to kick you out. Like, you're going to be evicted. So he leaves the house and he's like pissed and depressed because of this argument with his mom. Oh, and also the fact that he owes his brother a bunch of money, too. Mm. James lost money in the stock market crash uh, in 1973 okay. and had to borrow money for, uh, from his brother, so he owed him a ton of money, too. Mm, not good. Yep. So anyway, he goes to the local gun store to buy a silencer for a gun. And the guy's like, uh, that's illegal. Mm -hmm. No. Like, I can't sell you that. I don't even have one. Right. So James leaves to go and find another like gun store that could possibly have one and sell him one, but he doesn't find one. So he gives up on that. And later that day, uh, he's down at a local river shooting cans with his 357, which like, can you imagine just driving by a river and just seeing some guy just shooting cans? Yeah. Like, I, I grew up in a town just like oh. that. <laughs> Fairly common. Yeah. That to me just would be like a bizarre scene. Oh, it is. But it's it's commonplace. All right. Well, uh, he gets tired of shooting at his cans, and he heads to the 19th Hole Cocktail Lounge. He's sitting there drinking and bothering and complaining to literally everyone in the bar about how bad his life sucks. Wanda Bishop was one of those people he was complaining to, and she also happened to be the bartender working that night. Wanda says that he told her about his mom wanting to evict him and said that he had a problem he needed to take care of. Yikes. Ominous, right? Yeah. So he leaves the bar and comes back, and Wanda is like, hey, did you take care of your problem? Innocent, innocent question, right? And James answers, no, not yet. Mm. 
Like, can you imagine having that conversation with someone and then finding out the next day the problem they needed to take care of was to murder their whole entire family? No, I couldn't imagine. I mean, you'd probably feel guilty even though you didn't do anything Mm -hmm. just by association, I suppose. Yeah. Like, but how could you know? You know, no one would never think that. No. All right. So James stays at the bar drinking until closing time and then he makes his way back home. That brings us to the day after James' birthday, Easter Sunday, March 30th, 1975. Leonard, Alma, which Alma's his wife, James' ex-girlfriend, them and their eight kids arrive at Charity and James' house after attending an early morning church service. James is still asleep upstairs, sleeping off a hangover. The kids are hunting Easter eggs. Everybody's having a good time. It's a normal Easter day. Mm-hmm. Around lunchtime, the kids get hungry. So Charity, Leonard, and Alma, along with three of their kids, are in the kitchen preparing the meal. The other five kids, they're just in the living room playing, having a good time. James finally decides to drag himself out of bed and walks into the kitchen with four of his guns. The 357 two 22s and a rifle and instead of spending you know easter sunday with his family he was said he was heading out to do some target practice so leonard then says how's your volkswagen running (laughs) (laughs) Uh, couldn't have been a worse question i know right innocent question but man james absolutely loses it Mm -hmm. his response to that harmless question was to kill everyone in the house he started in the kitchen and killed charity leonard alma and three of their children david who was 11 Teresa, who is nine and carol who was 13 he then moved to the living room and killed anne who is 12 leonard the third who is 17 michael age 16 thomas who is 15 and then john who was only four years old. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. The brutal massacre of his whole family lasted only five minutes. Yeah. Each victim was shot twice, once in the body to disable them, and then once more in either the head or the heart to finish them off. Wow, damn. Isn't that like fucked up? Yeah. Like, Like you're just shoot someone so they can't move and then you're like, okay, now I'm going to finish it. Yeah. Like, that's creepy. Yeah, super creepy. Mm-hmm. So James changed his clothes and laid down on the couch for about two hours contemplating suicide. But in the end, he decided not to take his life because it was a mortal sin and he didn't want it to be his last act. Uh, okay. Like, isn't killing somebody else a mortal sin as well? Yeah, you're not supposed to kill. Yeah. Especially, what, seven or eight people? Uh, I think it was eight kids, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven, 11 people. people mm-hmm. And then decide not to take your own life because that's a sin. Yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so he picks up the phone and calls the police and says, there's been a shooting here. Mm-hmm. The other person on the end is like, what? And asks him to clarify. So he says, there are bodies in the house and hangs up the phone. He makes his way to the front door and sits down and waits for the police to come. They get there and they take James into custody and he was described as just being really calm, super cooperative. Um, inside the house, it was just an absolute bloodbath. Yeah, I, couldn't, I can't even imagine what that would look like. 
Uh, there was so much blood on the floor that one officer at the scene said that he had to be careful to not let the blood drip on him as he was walking through the basement. There was so much blood on the floors, it was seeping through the floorboards. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So James was arrested and charged with 11 counts of aggravated homicide. Even though he was calm when he was arrested, he later became uncooperative and flat out refused to answer any questions. Mm-hmm guilt starts setting in I guess I think he was just I think the more I tell you the more I think he's just a piece of shit and I think he probably is actually insane too well I could imagine yeah um I don't I I honestly don't think he felt guilty at all he may not have I don't know yeah so his first trial was held in Hamilton Ohio his defense attorneys claimed that he was insane but the prosecutors had a different theory They thought that he wasn't insane and that he planned the whole thing and wanted to get rid of his family members because if he did, he would get $300,000 worth of inheritance and, like, his mom and brother's, like, assets, like their home, cars, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, He thought that if he could make it through the trial and be found not guilty by reason of insanity, they would just let him go. And he'd be free to live his life. Yeah. Uh, Well, under the Ohio law, James could choose to face a jury or a panel of three judges, and he chose the judges. During the trial, two psychiatrists testified that James suffered from paranoia and delusion and was unable to control his actions during the shooting. One of the psychiatrists said, in fact, if there had been more people in the house, they might have been killed also. So the trial ended July 3rd, 1975, after two of the three judges declared him guilty on all 11 counts of aggravated murder and sentenced him to 11 consecutive life terms in prison. Yeah, insane. Yeah. But James wasn't happy with that, so he appealed his conviction. His attorney argued the trial court had misled James and his counsel. They said they were told the panel of judges would work the same as a regular jury. A unanimous verdict had to be reached in order to be able to convict James. Mm -hmm. Um, So while all this was going on in 1978, James was spending some time at the Lima State Hospital for the criminally insane. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about that too. Like, obviously I feel like mental institutions would be a scary place. Yeah. But like, you throw the words criminally insane in there, I feel like that just takes it up another notch on yeah. scary. Yeah. You're talking someone in one room's schizophrenic, you know, they deal with voices, see stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the next room, you have someone that committed 11 murders of their family members. Yeah. Like, and he, thinks he should get away with it. I know, right? Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So eventually a mistrial was declared when the Ohio Supreme Court ruled that the judges wrongly told them that their votes had to be unanimous. Mm -hmm. So this time the trial was in Finley, Ohio, 125 miles north of his hometown. He was found to be competent to stand trial and the jury issued a guilty verdict on July 23rd, 1982. But this time instead of 11 counts, he was only found guilty on two accounts or two counts, the murder of his mom and his brother. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity for the other nine murders. What? 
that was kind of confusing to me because how can you just kill your mom and brother and then just see the children and be like well he was crazy when he did that so those don't count like that kind of that was kind of weird to that me. is weird i don't i don't understand that either but mm-hmm. well he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences and he tried for parole in 1995 2005 and 2015 but was denied all three times james died in prison of natural causes in june of this year and he died only a few years away from his fourth parole hearing in 2025 he just died June yeah. of 2021? No, June of 2022. Oh, tw- yeah, yeah, 22, sorry. Yeah, like last <laughs> month. Oh, wow, that's mm-hmm. crazy. Yep, I got a little spooky yeah. ghost part for you. Okay. Because, I mean, obviously, like, this house had to have been haunted as oh, shit. Oh, sure, yep. a lot of bad energy after yeah. that. <laughs> so a year after James killed his whole family, the house was cleaned up and all the belongings inside were sold at an auction. A family who was new to the area decided to move into the home, and they had no knowledge of the event that had happened just a year there, like a year before. Okay, I have one question. Sure. The blood was so thick, it was seeping through the floors. Mm -hmm. Like, how does one even clean enough to get rid of all that? Well, they cleaned it up, and they covered it up with carpet. You've got to be kidding me. No, it's it's like I read this thing that said there's still blood stains on the floor. They just couldn't get it all out. So just, No, mm-hmm. that house needs to be burned down. I know, right? Anyway, sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, I you couldn't. No. No, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. Um, so they didn't know. They had no idea that they were moving into like a mass family murder house. And they didn't last very long in the house. After they moved out, they claimed that to hear voices and strange noises that they mm-hmm. couldn't explain. Lights turned on and off, doors slammed, and thudding footsteps were often heard coming down the stairs. A bunch of other families would move in and move right back out, mm-hmm. and they all reported hearing the same exact thing. Now, the house sat empty for a couple years, but the last family that moved in it said that there was nothing wrong with the house and that they never experienced anything out of the ordinary. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're go- maybe they're a ghost family. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is just insane. Isn't that crazy a- story? I know. That's so awful. Mm-hmm. I was like reading it and researching it, and I was like, "This is absolutely terrible." Yeah, your whole family. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. If you feel that way about your close family, how do you feel about other people in society? Right. There's got to be, like, lack of interest and I don't know. No one saw this coming. Like, no one had any, oh, there's something wrong with this guy. Or, yeah, it's, uh, like, he, he wasn't throwing up any kind of red flags that so he hmm. might be a little unhinged. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, crazy. It's like he just uh, snapped. Great story. Yeah. I uh, haven't really made a decision on what we're going to talk about next Sunday, but I think it might be aliens. Oh, sounds good. Aliens are good with me. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's uh, episode one. All right, cool. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks thank for listening. You. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.